Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Adam. Welcome to Uncertain Things. I really like this streamlined opening. We, uh, John, who's with us, John Aziz, who's uh, our, our guest today, may not know this, but we used to have the most interminable opening. Long, belabored <laughs> introductions. We are working to resolve this, not for the benefit of our listeners, uh, for whose joy we care very little, but for our own lazy asses. We just... It, Spares us the the toil of actually editing ourselves down, um, which I guess our listeners said you edit yourselves down. Yes, we what you get is an edited version. It it went longer. Anyway, John Aziz is uh, a Palestinian in in the UK who has been very vocal during the uh, or textual in in <laughs> the the day since the uh, events of October seventh. And I, we, we just, we, we, we felt like we've been covering this with sufficient, uh, with ample jewelry. So we, 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 we thought to bring you on and you, you've been gracious enough to join. So John, thank you for joining. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here, to be, be able to give my perspective on the events. Uh, so t- tell us about yourself. Give, give me the context because you are not a professional commentator. You're not a professional pundit. Well, I, um, I'm i about to publish my first article with The Atlantic, actually. Ooh, so, congrats. <laughs> so, poss- po- you know, po- possibly possibly, I'm, I'm going in that direction. Oh, wow. Look at you. Yeah, we, we're, we're here in this pivotal moment <laughs> you in your heard, life. From, you heard him here first, folks. Yeah, from, 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 <laughs> a, from a musician into punditry. I'm sorry about the trajectory of your um, professional life. I I I mean I no I I'm I'm a musician. The last actual recording we got done was in August, and then we've had to fire band members and re- retrain new band members. And we so was... Adam and I are also musicians, and we we have been through this toil. We know how heartbreaking it can be. So my condolences. And then hopefully, hopefully we're going to get back get back to recording our album. You know, I'm a, I'm a guitarist. I'm a singer. I love uh, you know psychedelic rock, space rock, Jimi Hendrix sort of classic rock. And you know while uh, while all of this stuff has been going on, I guess I've sort of just been venting, kind of pouring my heart out on Twitter, and like I, that that has somehow seemed to uh, give me an audience. Yeah. So first of all, can you give us the the, the background? How many generations ago do you relate back to Palestine? So my father was uh, born in the West Bank in 1961. Um, you know, he went through the Six Day War as a child. He uh, was, had to hide in a cave with his family uh, due, to, due to fighting between, uh, you know, the Arabs and the uh, Israelis. And uh, so he uh, he left um, Palestine uh, in the, in the 80s. He went to do a PhD in uh, physics. He's a, he was a physicist, my father. And uh, he, he was between the United States and the United Kingdom. He, he studied in both the United States and the United Kingdom. He actually finished his PhD in the UK. So he actually met my mother in the United States, but my mother was a British citizen. You know, she's a, a British lady. And that's really why he left Palestine is because he wanted to pursue his education. And then after he, uh, after he finished his PhD, he was working as a, working in Silicon Valley. He's a, he was a tech guy. 
So that's that's sort of my, um, you know, I have a connection to the Bay Area and Silicon Valley. And I also have a connection to the UK because of, uh, I guess, my, my parents. And, um, you know, of course, I have a, have a connection back to Palestine. You know, I've, I've visited Palestine both as an adult, as a child. You know, I, I love and care about my family very dearly. Um are and they I, still so I, in the West Bank or where are they? Yeah, I, I have my, my father was one of 10 kids. Right. So, uh, I mean, I have a, I have a huge, huge, huge family <laughs> in, in, in the West Bank. You know, I, I, I don't have, I don't believe I have any family in Gaza. I also have also have some family in uh, Israel proper. So, you know, Israeli Arabs. So I'm concerned about the situation and i guess part of part of my peace activism is because i care about i care about my family i mean i care about all palestinians and all israelis i suppose because i have i come from sort of a humanist humanitarian way of thinking about things but um yeah i mean initially it's my connection to that to these events is because i'm a palestinian and how much your did your palestinian background shape your identity growing up I mean, it was a huge amount, right? Um, I, I did predominantly live with my English mother and my, my father, I would, I, my, my parents split up. So I would visit my father in the summer, but I, I, I consider myself to be very culturally, um, culturally influenced by that. You know, I, I, I eat hummus all the time, right? I, you know, I, I, I eat falafel all the time. I, mean, I, 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 I eat Arabic, Arabic bread, right? With, with, with yogurt. That's, that's, that's just my, that's just my normal life. I'm, even though I have lived my life in, us and the uk i i am you know i have arabic elements about my about myself and about my personality and it's it, it's also shaped um the way i look at the world because there's this ongoing conflict and that's brought a lot of trauma to my family um to me you know we we having 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 had family members who've gone through war that traumatizes people and that leaves you feeling you know a little bit messed up <laughs> and and it, it, it makes it makes it hard to be raised by parents who were you know traumatized by by the wars and by the conflict and by the occupation so it's 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 kind of informed it informs so many different part, different parts of my life culturally politically ideologically do you see yourself as a as a descendant of refugees as the palestinian diaspora I definitely see myself as Palestinian diaspora. It would not be correct for me to say I'm a descendant of refugees because, as I mentioned, my father left Palestine to pursue educational opportunities. He was not. He did not leave as a result of, um, as it was as a result of the war. Although, at the same time, the war created the conditions that yeah. made him want to leave. Yeah, living under a military occupation is horrible, right? Like one of my one of my dad's formative experiences he told me about is he went through a, a, a military checkpoint carrying. Um, carrying a, an astrophysics textbook and um one, one of the soldiers who I, I think i think the guy identified himself as a supporter of kahan and then he said for, for the context is we mentioned that before in, in this podcast but the kahanism movement was by mayor kahana it's a radical uh judeo supremacist group uh from the 80s uh, if, I, if i remember correctly the the dates the 70s or the 80s no, I, uh, both, I think, right? Either way, it's a Judeo supremacist movement, and that still lingers, unfortunately, in the in the Israeli polity currently embodied by Ben Gvir. But it started by a true Jewish terrorist who sought out to murder Palestinians indiscriminately. 
Yeah, so my, my, my dad encountered a soldier who, who claimed to be a follower of Mir Kahan. And, uh, you know, the, he told my dad, Arabs are too stupid to learn astrophysics, right? So <laughs> go, going through, go, going through that, that whole milieu of occupation was incredibly formative to my father. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a hell of a lot easier to live in the Bay Area or to live in the UK than it is to live in the West Bank, right? There's no military checkpoints. There's no Israeli planes, you know, f- fighter jets flying over your head, right? And, 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 and there's, no, there's no Hamas living here. So <laughs> it's, it's, much, it, it, it's much easier to live in, to live in the West. And I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that my dad, you know, had an opportunity to get out to pursue educational opportunities. And so before before this past month, let's go previous, how how would you describe your relationship with other kind of Palestinians in the diaspora? Would you say that there was, you kind of generally agreed on things? Did you always feel a little bit like politically misaligned or what, how, how was it for you? Uh, uh- I, I would say that I generally, even for the last 10 years, I've, I've definitely considered myself to be a critic of Hamas, to be a critic of Islamism and Islamic supremacism. So possibly that has put me at odds with, I mean, possibly, definitely, that's put me at odds with a lot of the Palestinian community, right? So I... I I, I I guess you could say I have I, I've 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 had some dissident views for a long time because I don't agree with terrorism, I don't I don't agree with irredentism, which is incredibly important to the Palestinian cause. It's it means an ideology fo- focused on taking back territory that was previously lost. The Palestinian cause, fundamentally today, a lot of it is kind of stipulated upon the idea that we're going to reclaim lost territory, right? That all of 1948 Palestine belongs to Palestinians and we're going to reclaim lost territory. Now, the PA, the PLO, Fatah, they have accepted the concept of a two-state solution in principle, right? Even even, even Hamas has said that we accept the concept of a two-state solution as a temporary thing and then we'll go back and fight the Jews, right? But... And I think this is an important point for for like a, a lot of people... Most people commenting on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict speak out of their asses. So, <laughs> but even people who have some superficial understanding of the terms of the conflict seem to be in either denial or deliberate obfuscation about the point that you're making, that a great segment of the Palestinian resistance is predicated on the complete abolition of Israel, not just the abolition of the occupation in the West Bank and the blockade on Gaza, but the total eradication of Israel as a Jewish state and the return to the pre-48 I, I don't know even what no I don't even know what it means to return to the pre-48, what the, the, the mandate, like whatever, but to return to some ideal pre-Zionist existence. I mean Hamas, Hamas's position, right, and this is mirrored by a lot of Palestinians, both Islamist and non-Islamist, is the land belongs to us completely. Israel's an abomination. Jewish Jewish people can't stay here after that, but they would be, you know, jimmies. They would be um subjugated. So no, I I I personally have been for a long time I've been consider myself to be an advocate for peace. And that means peace between Israel and a future Palestinian state. And it means, you know, co- cohabitation on the land w- with some sort of borders, maybe based on the 1967, you know, um, ceasefire lands, maybe based upon land swaps, maybe based upon, you know, the Israeli settlements become part of the new Palestinian state. That that can all be negotiated by reasonable calm adults, um, 
of, of whom we're, we're lacking in on both the uh, Israeli government side and on both the Hamas and PLO side. So I, I've always been a little bit out of step, both with my own westernized Palestinian family and with the Palestinian diaspora. Um, but p- particularly with October 7th, it, it, it hit me in a way that maybe it doesn't hit other people because I'm a musician, because I heard about a massacre of a music festival and that hit me right in the feels. So maybe let's let's talk a little bit about, I mean, how, before we get to October 7th, how how publicly vocal had you been? Because you said you were a little bit out of step, but were, were you tweeting about things before October 7th? Or? Yeah, yes, somewhat, somewhat. You know, I, I, I'd connected with some Israelis and Palestinians, both in Facebook peace groups and on Twitter. Um, before October, before October seventh, you know, I, I considered myself to be a peace activist. You know, I had I had a lot of a lot of friends in Israel who were, you know, critics of Netanyahu and who were protesting against Netanyahu and who had been vocally supportive of the concept of peace between Israelis and Palestinians. So, you know, I, I mean, even even back in the twenty fourteen war, I was I and this is on my personal Facebook. I was tweeting criticism of Hamas and saying this is a terrorist organization. I do not agree with sending rockets. We need to sit down and negotiate. And you know, a lot of my family just disagreed with me. But I, I mean, it, it 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 is what it is. I've always been a vocal believer in freedom of speech. Right? Freedom of speech is, you know, the, the lifeblood of a free society. So. I, you know, maybe maybe Hamas don't agree with freedom of speech. Maybe I wouldn't be able to speak out like this if I lived in uh, in the West Bank or in uh, Gaza, right? But I, I, I am I'm a Palestinian. I'm just as you know, according to the PLO Charter, if you are born from a Palestinian father, you are a Palestinian, a full Palestinian. So I am a Palestinian. I want to speak my piece. I want to represent for my people. I want to represent for all of the people from both Palestine and Israel who want peace, right? Because that's a incredibly underrepresented group, right? <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, I've, I've considered myself to be a peace activist for a, a, a long time. I think this point is important. So partly given what we just discussed about the overt element in the Palestinian resistance movement that seeks to eradicate Israel, and partly because of other circumstances like the inability to express yourself freely in Gaza or under the PLO, the pro-two-state solution peace movement on the Palestinian side tends to be more muted than that on the Israeli side. And Israelis respond to this by saying, look, our left, our movement calling for peace is... Well, it's certainly not as vocal as it was before the murder of Rabin and or before the Second Intifada, which caused the left to shrink. But it is still pretty darn vocal, so vocal that Netanyahu can lose his shit and, and try to rewrite the, the, the fundamental laws of Israel in order to suppress it. But it is very vocal. There's there's an entire what one of the biggest newspapers is in in, in Israel it, where I used to work is completely dedicated to the position of a two state solution and, and arguably the rest of the media for the most part is devoted to the idea of a two state solution with varying degrees of hawkishness in the process to get there. Whereas what Israelis see is that when that the only allegiance that they can find on the Palestinian side is when it comes to criticizing Israel. But when it comes to reach a sort of real agreement, real movement forward, which requires mutual sacrifices, 
the other side seems to be to Israelis muted, or it becomes really hard to find those vocal critics who would wholeheartedly condemn Hamas without equivocation, without saying, no, but you know, they had the boots of the Israeli oppression under uh, over their necks for so long, you can really blame them for October 7th. But say, no, this is barbaric, this should not represent us, and this is not the foundation on which we can build a lasting peace. To even say that we want to build a lasting peace is in itself controversial. How, how, do, you, how do we breach that? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here, right? I will, I, I can full throat, full throatedly say, you know, I fully condemn what Hamas did on October the seventh. Um, I'm, I'm fully looking for a real solution, a real two-state solution where you can have a Zionist state and a Palestinian state. And I think the re- the, re- the response to me being able to say that publicly um, from you know peace-oriented Israelis has been phenomenal, right? I've, I've you know I've had you know ten thousand likes on multiple tweets because I, because I I will say as a Palestinian I do not agree with Hamas. I'm looking I'm looking for peace. I'm willing to criticize both sides. I don't like Netanyahu. I, I mean I think I think the the PA to some extent is a, a little bit better than. Uh, Hamas, obviously. I mean, there is yeah, yeah. the Palestinian Authority, Authority, which yeah. is the current government in the West Bank that coordinates with the Israeli occupation. So it's not fully independent. It's run by the PLO or Fatah under Mahmoud Abbas, and as like I said, is not, is partly independent on certain territories in the West Bank, but is with it with security coordinations. Um, with the Israeli military in the occupation, the, the PA is a little bit less extreme than than Hamas. You know, they have, you know, they have this maybe issues with Mahmoud Abbas being potentially a Holocaust denier, which <laughs> is probably probably not the easiest person for Israelis to make peace with. But the most Israelis find it more comical than <laughs> egregious, to be honest. That, well, that's 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 quite that, that's that's quite interesting. That's quite that's quite interesting, but. I mean, I, I th- one thing that I think will help hugely is if the PA is back in control of Gaza, then there is a unified Palestinian partner who may be able to negotiate with the Israeli government. And if we can get some real mature adults on the Israeli side, then perhaps you can have some real peace negotiations and we can talk about the, the, the deeper issues um, and, ha- and, and, and how to resolve them. And how, and this is incredibly important. This is, this, is, this is what I want to really address. How do we address the trauma of both Palestinians and Israelis going through decades upon decades upon decades of war and conflict and killing each other? We need to address our trauma because we're traumatized. Right. And, I, you know, I, I, I think about this a lot. And I, I actually, I, I had this discussion with a few Israeli friends recently. I think most of them actually agreed, but that there is a real... Nakba denialism in in the in the Israeli side. Even I think on uh, the Nakba is the, the the great catastrophe for for the Palestinians, which is during the forty eight war, which is Israel's independence war. Um, hundreds of thousands of locals were forced out of their um, homes or or. You know, this is this is the whole debate around the Nakba. How many of them were left because of the influence of the Arab uh, armies? How many of them were forcibly pushed, uh, expelled by the Israelis? But the result is the same that we have. I, I don't remember how many um, hundreds of thousands. I think I think I think between two hundred and three hundred thousand. Right. That's that's my the range that I'm thinking of Palestinians that become stateless as a result of Israeli independence, which is an enormous national trauma. 
and the 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 reality of the Palestinian day diaspora right today is to a large extent the result of that and with refugees being uh, um, spread all over the world and now finding it impossible to really relocate to either Israel or Palestine. And I think putting aside the question of the pragmatic question of the refugees and the right of return and all that, the very fact that this is a traumatic event in the Palestinian history that is the other side of the most celebrated event in Israel history, which is the War of Independence, (laughs) makes it very difficult for, I think, a lot of Israelis to truly reckon with the consequences or the the dark side of their own success. And I think having that, the ability to say, even if we feel that we, 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 we comported ourselves as ethically as possible, which is very arguable, but even if we feel that, it doesn't matter. The result is the harm the, of the harm done to Palestinians is real. And we will need to acknowledge that and in a meaningful way before we can truly move to a two-state solution or like a long-lasting new stable Middle East that is not based on mutual destruction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there are things that we need to recognize on both sides. I mean, from a, as a Palestinian, I would say we need to recognize the futility of our own violent resistance because it keeps getting worse, right? It keeps it keeps knocking us back. We, we don't make gains from violent resistance. Hamas has done nothing for Palestinians. Hamas has put us is putting us back to the Stone Age. And I, I, I also agree that there are things that Israelis have to accept about um, the reality of their state and the effect that that's had on Palestinians if we're going to recognize the common trauma and kind of find a way to move forward to make peace. Now, here's what, how I like to look at this. War is a zero-sum game. Someone wins, someone loses, right? Someone takes the land, someone loses the land. Peace is a positive-sum game, or it can be a positive-sum game. So you can have if you're if you're both building for peace, you can both win, right? Like economic development in Palestine can benefit Israel. Economic development in Israel can benefit Palestine. So that's 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 kind of how I look at it, and that's why I'm a peace activist, and that's why I want to be a builder and not a destroyer. That's the Salam Fayyadism vision, right? right? Of putting aside the focus on resistance and focusing on ways where mutual cooperation could actually lead to growth and prosperity on both sides. Or at least for Salam Fayyad, I don't think he was that concerned about prosperity on the Israeli side, but cooperating with Israel and focusing less on resistance and uh, and on envisioning a new status quo means showing concern for the lives of actual Palestinians as opposed to commitment to the vision of a total, complete Palestine or a vindicated Palestine, right? Exactly, because we're all individuals, we're all individual humans. And when 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 people think of us in terms of this grand strategy of we're going to take back Al-Quds, we're going to take back Jerusalem, we're going to we're going to we're going to push them into the sea. That is to me to me that it's 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 like it's like something from a fantasy or science fiction story. It's completely disconnected with the real world. And the real people on the ground in their lives, right? People want to go to, they want they go, they, they wash their clothes, they eat food, they look after their children, they go to school, they go to their work. That that becomes completely destroyed by a war, right? People's homes are destroyed. 
people's homes are destroyed. There was there was an idiot on Twitter who said who, who said that I'm Israel's house Arab because I want to talk about both sides and because I want to because I want to I, I, I want to advocate for both sides and peace for both sides. But you know, if people were talking about the ideas that I'm talking about, we would have houses. They don't have houses in Gaza now because they had resistance. They had rockets. So you fire a rocket at Israel. What what's Israel going to do? It's going to defend itself. This is a fact. Hamas signed their death warrants on October seventh. You can't. You can't go into a go into a, any country in the world. You can't go to any country in the world if you're a terrorist organization and start massacring civilians. There will be a response inevitably, inevitably. And you know, when Israel drops bombs on Palestine, there's also a response. There's blowback, right? There's blowback. There's always blowback from war. But Hamas signed their death warrants on October the seventh. That's the reality. I'm a realist. Yeah. I. I want to I want to ask a question of I think I think as the ignorant American on the on the podcast I think I have enough of a grasp of this of the situation to understand why why Palestinians in in Palestine cannot speak out against Hamas like that's pretty straightforward they, it's just like you were saying earlier there is no such thing as freedom of speech in a, a Hamas-run uh, place. What I'm con- more confused about is why it's so difficult for people who are not even necessarily Palestinian, just pro the idea of a Palestinian state to speak out against Hamas, people who live in places like the US, like the UK, where there is freedom of speech, and why it feels like to speak out against Hamas is to speak out against Palestinians. Like, why is that inter, inter, interrelated? That's a really, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I think possibly, possibly ignorance of the situation to some extent, ignorance of what Hamas is, what Hamas stands for as a kind of Islamist movement, as an Islamic supremacist movement. You know, I'm not sure many Western leftists fully appreciate what Hamas is. What Hamas does to, you know, the LGBT community, to non-Muslims, Hamas subjugates people who are not part of the Islamic mainstream, who are not part of their sort of ideological brotherhood. But I mean, there's also the factor of anti-Semitism. There is huge anti-Semitism in the West that we've seen when people are screaming gas the Jews at rallies, when people are holding up swastikas. This is this is uh, uh, there is a lot of anti-Semitism that dwells in people in America and in and in the UK. And as someone who's seen the ideology of anti-Semitism in Palestinian people to, to, to a certain extent. I also see it among the Western leftists who are uh, so de- determined to criticize Israel on every single front and never criticize Hamas. I, I'm actually wondering, you know, part, part of it is not just the distinction between Palestinians and Hamas. In the same way that you can't, narrow down the extremist factions in Israel by just saying, you know, separate Israelis from the Jewish might party with the Ben-Gvir party. What we're talking about is the cultural tendencies that we, within both societies, that need to be condemned, need to be pushed aside. And in Israel, I I would call that the, the extremist messianic element that is the, the most, I think, dangerous and corrosive, even even though Net, I think Netanyahu's corruptions and geostrategic thinking has been in itself destructive, but I, I think the most corrupt part of it was empowering the extreme right and the messianic right in Israel and um, 
and in fact, legitimizing it in some way. I, I, I see that as a truly long-term concerning trend, and I hope that it would be diminished by by future efforts to 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 create some stability in the region and rather than see that trend grow we'll see but on the palestinian side i think the problem is not it's not inherently hamas it's what you said hamas i mean is the most savage example of that version because of its truly medieval beliefs but um and but i think the problem is the focus on resistance and forming a total identity around the call for revenge against Israel rather than around building a society, an independent society. I mean, a, a lot of other countries other than Palestine have some sort of irredentist tendency, right? Like if you look at Russia and Ukraine, for example, um, the, the the invasion of Ukraine is a result of irredentism. Because pa, 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 the Palestinian people live predominantly in the West Bank and Gaza, right? But Previous to 1948, Palestine was the whole the whole land, and Palestinian was a term that also applied to Jewish people from there, right? But you know, right, it was it was the stretch of land that it, it didn't have a national identity. It was just the the territory in that region that was occupied by varying empires from basically the Roman days through Ottoman and then the British Mandate, exactly, and a bunch of others between. Exactly. So the the you know the, there's a reason why Hamas called there operation on October 7th, the Al-Quds flood, Al-Quds being Jerusalem. It was because they were trying to flood the country to terrorize Israelis, to take back Al-Quds. You know, the Hamas Politburo in Gaza, they don't, they don't have a picture of Gaza behind them. They have a picture of Dome of the Rock in uh, Jerusalem. This is absolutely about taking back lost territory. That is the ideology of Hamas. That is the ideology of the Palestinian resistance. And I think strategically and morally, it is a defunct and broken ideology. And as Palestinians, we need to focus on creating a new positive national ideology that's based on the territory where we actually live and building a country for all of the Palestinian, Palestinian people, including Palestinian refugees, who are, are going to, in, in my vision, they would the right of return would be to the new Palestinian country. And we can build a new, a real country. You know, it could. Uh, oftentimes in Israeli propaganda, they're like, "Oh, Gaza can be the Singapore of the Mediterranean." You know, I believe that. Maybe it could be. If if we if we get the economic if we get the if we get peace, and we get the economic investment, which after this has been going on for so long, this has been going on for so long. Which country in the world is not going to want to give the investment to make sure that this does not boil up again? And, and 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 like vol- volcanically explode all over the rest of the Middle East. There and I think there- it will be, and it will be within reason, if not totally justified, to have Israel involved in the reconstruction and and reparations of the harm uh, of the damage done from the war to Gaza under the conditions of certain securities and the prevention of Hamas taking back power. But the idea of getting of flooding Gaza with with money, as long as the government is actually interested in using that aid to rebuild itself and and turn it prosperous is, I think, a dream for Israelis. Israelis want, not not all Israelis, of course, again, because we do have those those maniacal messianic elements in, in Israeli society, and they are real and they are dangerous. But I do think that most Israelis would love to see a world where Palestine emerges as, you know, Basically, like the UAE, we might not see eye to eye. We might be philosophically misaligned on many things. But, you know, 
capitalism is good. We can make money together. We can see each other, we, we can help each other prosper. We can share knowledge. We can share um, workforce. And ultimately, we'll, we'll both benefit more by being in some sort, in some relationship, in some mutually beneficial relationship, economic, social security relationship. Right. I mean, this is kind of the Marshall Plan, right? The Marshall Plan for Palestine. You know, after, after World War II, Germany was rebuilt by America. You know, the, 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 the Americans understood that Versailles, previous to World War II, had failed. That's how, that's, how, that's, how, that's how Hitler came to power, right? Hitler took advantage of the failures of Versailles. Versailles was a treaty, but punished Germany for starting World War I. Whether or not um, Germany really did start World War I, who, who was really to blame? That's, that's a matter of debate for historians. But Versailles blamed Germany and made Germany pay war, war reparations. And that tanked the German economy. So after World War II, the idea from, you know, the uh, economists at the time was we rebuild Germany and we rebuild it as a prosperous, modern, w- modern nation. And I think, I think that is how the international community in Israel needs to look at Palestine. They need to, they need to invest and they need to invest in peace and they need to build peace. And most importantly, they need to find political leaders who are willing to be peace leaders. So as somebody who's familiar with those two nations and the current political reality in, in both Israel and the, the two uh, sides, two ends of Palestine, the West Bank and Gaza, where do you see this leadership coming from? I don't know if I, I certainly don't trust the Netanyahu government to... Sorry, the, the listener couldn't see John's face, but there was a big <laughs> d- dispelling of air. <laughs> it, it, the current Israeli government is certainly not capable of having this sort of long-term thinking, this sort of responsible restraint to say, we've reached our goals, now we need to work to rebuild Gaza on one hand. But maybe, you know, if I'm being optimistic which on I, I don't sleep at all, so I have 24 hours of, of wakefulness these days, so at least a few hours of these I, I can afford to spend with optimism. So in my optimistic hours, I can contemplate a post-war Israel that politically, if not more than that, punishes the Netanyahu government for its failures and brings in a moderate, more mature, more responsible, um, either center or maybe even left of center, replacement that might have that sort of leadership. But even if you get that, what do you do on the Palestinian side? Is, it, is Mahmoud Abbas somebody who can have that, who can be trusted to reallocate funds, foreign aid to, to, to rebuild Gaza as opposed to completely distrain it for his own good? Is, are, is, is Sinwar... Um, to be trusted, like who, 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 who do we do we have on the Palestinian leadership right now? Who, who will truly care about the lives of Palestinians under their governance? I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm not here to endorse any specific politician. But what, what I would say to people from listening from both sides is kind of be the change you wish to see in the world. If there, if there are no leaders who are willing to do it, get out there and advocate and be a leader. Get you know you know talk 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 among your local community talk among your friends talk among your family about peace and about 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 how we need to invest in both countries right to build peace to rebuild trust so much trust was lost on October seventh right I felt like how are Israelis ever going to trust us again I mean in terms of Mahmoud Abbas you know I'm not I'm not going to write him off you know 
um, if he if he if he wants to be that leader who can make peace, then I'd say good for him. If Mahmoud Abbas isn't willing to do it, then we need new leadership. We, and and Palestinians who have a voice need to stand up, and we need to say we need leadership, we need peace, we need to become a real country. This has been this has been going on for far too long. Yeah, I think that's the thing that that that's so tragic about this, and I think this is where I want to make a small pivot. There is a, the, the current leadership, certainly in of Hamas, but to some extent Mahmoud Abbas as well, seems to completely um, ignore the, the 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 welfare of Palestinians, which to me is so frustratingly tragic because it means that. It, it 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 has colonial implications where you say well Israel Israel or the international community needs to be involved in empowering the forces within within Gaza within the Palestinian Authority that can undermine their current governments and and bring in a more liberal or or democratic alternative it sounds it sounds you know paternalistic colonial imperialistic even I, I mean I mean from from my point of view speaking as a Palestinian these governments exist because Western leadership actually empowers them and funds them and allows them to exist. The Palestinian Authority wouldn't exist without the EU and the the, the um, United States and the international community funding it. So if the Palestinian leadership is not willing to step up and say, I want peace, the international community needs to find new Palestinian leadership. Remember, there hasn't been an election for nearly 20 years. There hasn't been an election for nearly 20 years. What? Neither near the river nor the sea. You know? Realistically, what legitimacy does um, Mahmoud Abbas actually have? Yeah, I, I mean, Israel. Israel is a democracy. Maybe it's a flawed democracy. Um, but from, from my from my point of view, as a Palestinian, I would negotiate with whoever the government of Israel is, including including if it has to be Netanyahu. I hope. I hope. Re- realistically, I, I I am I imagine he's going to be finished because he uh, because of the the awfulness of the terror, terrorism attack that took place under his watch. I think that's going to maybe finish his political career and maybe we'll get younger, fresher, more, more flexible, more ideologically flexible leadership in Israel. I, I, I hope that's going to be the case and there'll be Israeli peace seekers. But for the Palestinian side, let me repeat, Mahmoud Abbas operates because the international community let him operate. If you cannot find a peacemaker in Fatah, in the PLO, find new Palestinians. So that leads me to the West. I, I think this is one of the most frustrating dimensions of this, that the, the pseudo-pacifist, the pseudo-liberal left on in, 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 in the West it seems to be so out of step with the reality of Palestinian and Israeli lives in the region that... I I I am not sure I know what to make of it anymore. It seems it, it it reaches the point where I can't even give it the benefit of ignorance. I can't just dismiss it as those are know nothing peace privileged morons. It seems worse. It seems like a a, a true ideological commitment to the abstract resistance to the bloodshed to the war because the war feeds some some sense of post-colonial vengeance in them or post-colonial you know star wars fantasy that they get to live through vicariously through the lives of palestinians who actually die in the war and that's 
it's it's no longer just embarrassing as it is often when you just read the way that things being co- are, are, are covered or protested on college campuses. It is it is at the point of being abominable, in my view. Yeah, I think I think there was there was a tweet that went viral after October seventh, which was, um, I'm not sure if she was Muslim or if she was Western. I mean, I, I certainly think she lived in the West. She she asked the question, "What did you think decolonization looked like?" Right. That and she, I mean, essentially, she was defending murder. She was saying this is decolonization. That Israel is a settler colonial society, and this is how the Palestinians get rid of them. They go into Israel and they barbarically terrorize and murder Israelis. And that, you know, this has been brewing in universities since the 1990s and 1980s with uh, the postmodern ideology, right? Like the, the the ideology of kind of deconstruction. We deconstruct everything. We deconstruct civilization. The idea that Western civilization is not a, a good way of being, right? That it's that it's 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 colonialist, it's it's misogynistic, it's heteronormative, it's uh, homophobic, and a, a lot of people on the left want to te- want to tear everything down. And I, I think I think me as a Palestinian who sees a world without you know Western liberalism, without all all of, all of the the cultural things that we take for granted in the West, like free speech, freedom of religion. And you're, like, you're, you're using liberal liberalism the way I use liberalism, which is the European sense, which means yes. exactly the yes. values that the, the Western left betrays or even loads. Thank, thank, thank you, thank you for making that qualification because I'm using I'm using it in the European sense as I as I live as I live in Europe. I, I I'm 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 flexible enough to under, to understand that there's there, there's a, there's a whole there's a whole left field in the United States which loads liberals, which is like oh liberals are, I I guess they associate it with like liberal capitalism, right? That, that it's it's um almost almost like it's a, a, a center right neoliberal uh, ideology. But no, I, as a Palestinian, I see. I, I know Palestine, right? Palestine is is not a liberal society. There's no freedom of speech. Freedom of religion is very tenuous. And I I'm, I, I would say slow down, you know, slow down. Don't de- deconstructing bad ideas is great, right? Misog- I don't support misogyny. I don't support homophobia, right? But we should we should we should, we should deconstruct racism, right? But don't deconstruct everything. Slow down. Be careful. Be careful. Be cautious. Think about things carefully. Think about things we, we, in terms of we don't want murder on our streets. We don't. We don't. We don't want. We don't want a decolonization of of you know America, Canada, Australia. We don't. We don't want um, you know people going around murdering people here for quote unquote decolonization. I think. I think that's barbaric. I think we 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 have to we have to respect each other as human beings. That that to me that comes first is respect. Also, John, like doesn't doesn't it strike you as like a tweet like that? as rather insulting to Palestinians? I mean, it's the, yeah, the, the uh, lo- lo- low expectations racism, right? Right. It's like, it's like, what, like what, what, what you said the tweet was, what did you think colonization would look like? It's like, but, but I'd, I'd wager a guess that your average Palestinian does not, does not condone massacre. Like, I mean, I mean, doesn't matter even does the average Palestinian condone or not condone. The, the implication of the tweet is that there is no other way for a Palestinian to conceive of a post-occupation world that does not include the most barbaric murder of civilians. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of Palestinians do believe that, right? And I heard a pro-Palestinian protest yesterday shouting, from the rivers to the sea, Palestine will be free. Um, 
there is what is it? There is, there is no, only one solution. There is only one revolution. solution: Intifada revolution. But there John, only, but John, Intifada only means a peaceful resistance. Uh, I've been told by many people who have not heard the word Intifada until Tuesday. But it, 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 I mean, I mean, in, in the history of the conflict, Intifada means suicide bombings. It means blowing up buses. Yeah. Let's be, no, I, let's I, be I, real. Is, I, I just want to <laughs> register. This is one of the things that I find the most difficult to not debase myself with the less pristine vocabulary that I have to offer Westerners when they tell me what Intifada means or what it doesn't mean, having lived through the Second Intifada and having had my friends attacked, shot at, and buses explode around me, like right near my high school. And I'm like, please. Let's let's I, I understand that there is a passion on on the Western left to to redefine every single world word in the most cynical and self-serving way. But but please, let's put that point aside. Let's don't don't take me to that um, argument. But but the thing that's so disgusting in all of this, as Vanessa was pointing out, is the commentariat that that props up the violent resistance of uh, Palestinians, I don't even want to say Palestinians, the anti-Zionist violent, violent resistance has no concern for Palestinian lives, has no concern for building a future for the people of the regions. They are exclusively interested in the, the story that they tell themselves about the right and the wrong, the good and the evil, this Manichaean worldview which is not even Manichaean, that gives it too much intellectual heft. It, it's, it's Star Wars. This is the only... I, this, when people tell me, how can I understand the insanity that's going on on the left? I tell them, they, 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 their entire geopolitical worldview is Star Wars. There is an empire and there are rebels and the rebels are justified in what they do in order to bring down this enormous nuclear power Death Star villain. This is the entirety of their worldview. It does not get any more complex than that. And they need that story because it gives their pathetic, empty lives meaning. And, and in the process, they, in, in, in what I would consider total Orientalism and racism, completely ignore and, and, and flatten the real experience and the real complexity of Palestinians who live and suffer the consequences of this war. People are going to support things that they believe fits with their narrative. It fits with their narrative of we are the resistance of the good guys, the empire of the bad guys, and we're going to blow up the Death Star. And I think a lot of people on the left are, are, are seeing it like that. And a, lo a, lot of, a lot of voters are seeing it like that. And I think nuance is a very, 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 very good thing in this world, right? Not, not everything Israel does is good. Not everything Palestine does is good. There's good and bad individuals on both sides. There are people on both sides who want to be oppressors, right? And want to subjugate people. There are people on both sides who care deeply about everyone and want everyone to feel, you know, respected and able to live their lives in a, like a normal, peaceful way. And if we if we oversimplify the world, if our narratives and if our storytelling are just Israel bad, Palestine good, or Palestine bad, Israel good, then we're not doing the world justice. So pe pe people need to learn critical thinking, right? And then the <laughs> irony is that it's couched in the most esoteric, over-elaborate set of pseudo-philosophical literature the academies that, that they use to justify and reify their Star Wars narrative. 
the, the, the most harmful version of this, not the most harmful, there's, there's a lot of more uh, disgusting um, iterations, but an experience that made me almost cry was having an argument with an incredibly intelligent and, you know, scholarly American leftist who, when I told her about how my experience of resistance figures in Iran and Iranian friends that I have and resistance figures in Gaza and the West Bank and Arab Israelis that I'm in touch with, how for all of us together, the one thing we crave most of all is to be in a world that starts and takes for granted the sort of liberal democratic values that that the West can take for granted. And when I said that, when I said the word West liberal and democratic in, in, in a single string, she physically winced because... For her, that's anathema. That's the that's the sort of oppressive superstructure that needs to be deconstructed, right? Liberalism, Westernism, uh, pseudo liberal democracy in their minds. Those are the products of 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 the oppressors of the white colonial original sin. And that, to me, was the heart of it. The 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 the, the true absence in the Middle East that the the sort of liberal democratic political freedoms that American state would take for granted is is not the concern at all of American leftists. They do not care whether Palestinians or Iranians have free speech. They do not care if Palestinians or Iranians are able to to reach a sort of political self-determination they seek because they don't really care about them as people. They care about the narrative that supports their dumb worldview. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we've, we've kind of we've kind of got two narratives going on here, right? We've got the narrative in Palestine of you know our people, our land, our country, irredentism, river to the sea, and that's that's one narrative we've got going on. Or even even Islamic supremacy, right? That's Hamas's narrative. And then we, in the West, we've got this deconstructionist, postmodernist narrative. That is, um, a lot of the time, it will be academies that people have learned in their university courses because we're a more educated society than ever. And so more people go through university and more people, uh, you know, they, they take classes where they come into they come into contact with the lexicon of postmodernism and academies. And I would say that there is a great misunderstanding between those two worlds, right? They're two worlds that maybe should not collide, right? The people, the people in, 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 in couched in that sort of academic worldview in the West of, uh, you know, intersectionality and, uh, you know, deconstruction and postmodernism, they are making excuses for people in other parts of the world that maybe not only do not understand their kind of deconstructionist, you know, post-colonial mentality, but they're all deeply authoritarian, and sometimes they're mur- sometimes or they're they, murderous. Or they do understand it, and they're leveraging it right, right, to their that, to their own advantage. Because <laughs> right, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I I've never had. A, I mean, who was it? Was it Sin- Sinwar or a different uh, Hamas leader who who interviewed after the uh, the death of George Floyd to express support with BLM? They understand the language. They understand. They cynically and uh, exploit the West, Hamas, and a lot of. Um, is, is Islamist theorists, including Iranians, are incredibly aware of the, the games they're playing and, and of the, the weaknesses of the left that they can exploit for their 
for their own political um, perpetuation. It's, it's, it's right? a game. It's a game to them. They don't. They, right. they, they don't. They don't. Un- they, they, they may have learned some of the lexicon, but they don't understand why. The, the, the kind of more empathetic and sympathetic. And oh, right, 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 right. No, no, they understand yeah. it as they see it as the insanity of the West, right. which they can exploit to to further their own ends. Maybe they do. They become fluent in, you know, Western discourse and Western narratives, but they don't necessarily understand the underlying sympathies and empathies that that, that that come underneath it, right? Because generally speaking, people in the West, they they go to the left because they don't like people being poor. They don't like people suffering. They don't like people being oppressed. They don't like racism. They don't like sexism. So we have we we have quite a soft and empathetic society. And the people maybe with Hamas, they 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 they, they think it's insanity. They think it's madness. They 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 believe in the basically might equals right, right? That's that's what Hamas has been doing to Gaza. They've been building an attempt at building military might. That's what all the tunnels are about. That's why Hamas is still firing rockets, right? Because they believe might equals right. We get these rockets from Iran. We fire them at Tel Aviv. And that's that is how we stamp our authority upon the Zionists, right? That's their that's and, their and view. A, and there's a religious mandate to it too, right? They they are they see the signs. They see the Israel's weakness and their their victory on October seventh as reaffirmation of their religious calling. Yeah, I mean, it's not just might makes right. It's also religious mandate makes right. There's right. I mean, I mean that's that that, that that's part of their ideology. The ideology of Islamism is Islam will will conquer the world and turn everything into Dar al Islam. Right make all of the land into the land of Islam and bring bring the entire world under Islamic control. That's the ideology of Islamism, right? Not not all Muslim, not all Muslims, not a majority of Muslims believe that, right? But uh, you know, Hamas certainly do believe it. They believe they're they're in this Manichian, Manichian. I don't know how you pronounce that word. Yeah, me neither. I always <laughs> pronounce it differently. I just I just roll the dice. But they, they believe they're in some sort of Manichian struggle of light light against darkness. They believe they're the light. They believe we're going to bring bring the entire world under the control of Islam because Islam is the religion of humanity. That is that is their ideology, and 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 that is really you know all of, all of these LGBT non-binary. Trans, transgender activists who think that they are that, that, that Hamas is somehow their ally because they're both oppressed would find themselves incredibly disadvantaged. Uh, you know, they'd probably be probably be killed, right, uh, under a uh, under a Hamas dictatorship, right? I mean, they used to be involved with gay bars in Israel. Nice. That had a bunch of call it local refugees, some from the ultra orthodox community in in the religious parts of Jerusalem, and others who were basically smuggled from Gaza and would sometimes have to go back clandestinely without their family noticing. And they would like, they would be there, they would, they would sometimes risk, you know, risk getting through the checkpoints, risk getting through the watchful eye of Hamas in order to sing one song as, as a drag queen in that bar and get back. But, you know, if they were to, if they were found out, they actually needed the alias, because if their real names somehow got back to their village, they'd be dead, or their family would be dead. Dude, that's that's heartbreaking. That's that 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 that, that that's heartbreaking to hear, because I'm 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 not a drag queen, but I'm I'm a musician myself, right? And that is that is incredible that people, in order to feel like they want to express themselves, they have to take on a like a, like an alter ego, like a like an alternative identity, because otherwise their family will disown them. That is. 
you know, the, that 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 really brings brings it home to me. This is this country. that would be the least of it if the family disowning them would be the least of it because the consequences could be Death. harmful to their family. The, the entire town can disown or even punish the family for having such a renegade uh, child. And that is that is so that is so heartbreaking because we we always forget that. The, 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 we always forget the people. We always forget that we're all individuals, and we all have our we all have li- little struggles, and we all have our own hopes and dreams and wishes. And it, it's so sad that these these kind of greater conflicts that exist on kind of a meta scale they they crush little people's lives, and they they they, they take away our freedom and they take away our dreams, both in the ultra orthodox community and in the kind of Muslim Arab community. That those communities are, 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 are crushing young people. They're taking away people's dreams. And no, it's it's heartbreaking. And I, the specific story that I'm thinking of, the Gazan. And now I don't know how to even try to make contact, which is heartbreaking because I would have loved to to kind of like figure out what ended up happening there since. But I but I can't because of just how difficult this situation is. I, I, and, I, I would love I would love for these people to be able to tell their stories. That's that's exactly no. I'm 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 assiduously trying to 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 track them back in order to like to get get them out or see where they are or if, even even under some kind of um, alias. Uh, just this, let their story be heard, and it's it's just. I do think it's I do think it's important for for because I understand for Americans who are very sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. It makes, like, of course you're going to be sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. Like, why wouldn't you be? On the other hand, you need to understand what is the situation? What, how, what is Hamas? What does it mean? And I think hearing stories like that, which do personalize, individualize what it means to live there under Hamas, I think would, would create some understanding and context for why we need to approach the situation differently and how we need to allow Palestinians to empower themselves in a different manner outside of Hamas oppression. Like, I think, I, I, I mean... Or outside of the focus on Israel as the the, the singular. It's not, it is oppressive. Right. But, and and there, there there are problems that Israel needs to have. But, but, but they cannot be the end all of the conversation. <laughs> right. The, and the fight of it is not the, the only thing that is oppressing the lives in Gaza. And I'm just looking just just of from the past 12 hours, um, uh, tweets that have gotten a lot of sharing People saying things like, "Yeah, you do know queer people don't just start popping out of thin air, um, right? Like we exist anywhere, everywhere, even if in places that would seek to harm us versus queer, blah, 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 blah. Palestinian liberation, just like all other liberation movements, help us liberate each other in from imperialist systems. I'm like, I get what they're saying. I get this is like the most quote unquote serious counterpoint. They're saying... You know, we need to focus on dismantling the underlying imperialism before we can create freedom. But like, this is such a such an absurdity. It's such an imagined reality of you can't even worry about the reality of individual Palestinians as long as there is this abstract Star Wars empire that we need to to dismantle first. And how dehumanizing it is for the individual gay. Uh, trans, whatever, or or just even non-conforming sexually, politically, morally, religiously Palestinians who feel like the only version of their lives that can be legitimized by 
the 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 great largesse of the Western community is if they strap on a suicide bomb kit and go blow up themselves in the boss because then they are authentic. Then they fit the authentic version of what the West wants to see, right? The Western left has embraced the worst aspects of the Hamas death cult and, and elevated it into the authentic expression of the Palestinian yearning for freedom. It's extremely infantilizing. It's extremely infantilizing because there are, you know, LGBTQ Palestinians, you know, there are there are Palestinians who are liberals, there are Palestinians who are atheists. Palestinians do come in just as many shades and colors of ideology as any other group of people because we're all individuals. But we're struggling to express it because of the political situation in our own country and the impact of kind of Islamism on us. So last question before we let you go, because you've been very kind with your time. How is it to be in this position of basically, I assume, getting flack from everyone? Because you don't, you don't hold your tongue in criticizing <laughs> Israel and the Netanyahu government. You're, you're, you're certainly not trying to be, what do they call you? The, the Israeli the house, house, the house Arab? The house Arab. If, if, if you elect me, there will be houses in Gaza. That's my, that's my promise. <laughs> that's my promise. I am the house Arab because we will have houses in Gaza instead of craters. Um, but, but how does it, how, how, how are you coping with that being in the, in the crunch? You know, I tell you what, I've hardly had any pushback. Really? I, barely. You know, compared to my Jewish friends who get extreme anti-Semitism thrown at them all the time, I've hardly had any pushback. I've had one subtle threat and it, I don't think it was even very serious, right? Like, I, I, because, I'm, because I'm calling myself a peace activist, I'm calling myself pro-Palestine, I'm calling myself pro-Israel, I'm calling myself pro-humanity, pro-freedom. And I've got great followers, and my my great followers will raise, will will because they want they want peace too, right? So they'll they'll ratio people for me. So I'm here to bring real, authentic, pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli, pro-peace, pro-freedom, pro-humanity arguments. And if people want to argue with me, if they want to give me flack, then you know, let's let's talk. I'll debate anyone. I'll debate Hamas. Bring it on. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're listening. <laughs> well, yeah. And they'll give you a call. Yeah, the, the uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the Aziz and Nia debate. <laughs> right, well, mm. thank you, John, so much for your time, for chatting with us. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. 